0: Everybody and welcome to a Charles Farm catch up. Today we're with the guys down in New Zealand. Um, they very kindly agreed to join us at seven thirty a.m. in the morning, eight thirty p.m. here in uh, in Worcestershire. So uh, great, good to see you both, George and Brent. Great to see you. Thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, morning, everyone. And,
0: uh, <laughs> Perhaps you could just introduce yourself and just uh, say who you are and what you do, so we've got an idea of what we're uh, we're talking, who we're talking to, and what we're going to talk about.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I'm George, sales manager here at New Zealand Hops. Georgia, that's it. Uh, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit ill so I'm trying to do as little talking as I can but um, yeah no, I, I manage sales globally uh, so outside of the America where we have a dedicated sales manager I manage sales for New Zealand, Australia uh, uh, helping support you guys in the UK and then um, the rest of the world in Asia and different places so yeah that's pretty much what I get up to
0: Fantastic, thanks for expanding that out George I appreciate it <laughs>
1: What about you, Brad? Uh, yeah, I'm Brad McLasham from our, our company's Mac Hops. Um, we're one of the largest suppliers to New Zealand hops. Um, we're fifth, fifth, I'm a fifth generation grower now, so I've been around the, around the sticks for a while and seen the markets good and bad and, and ugly and, and fantastic. So, um, yeah, no, we, we enjoy the ride and we're still here. So, yeah. Fantastic. That's so, I, I know, uh, George,
0: you're based, well, you're both at the moment in the office in Blackborough Road, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: based in uh, Nelson. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, And and so where, where, where in relation to uh, to Nelson is the farm, Brent?
1: Uh, we've got two farms. We've got our home farm, which we've been on since, I think, like 1907 or something like that, a bloody long time ago. <laughs> um, and that that's a 30 hectare block, which we also have a joint venture to with our next door neighbours, which is a local iwi group called Conno Horticulture. They grow 25 hectares as well. So we have two bruff machines there that come away during harvest time. Um, they've been retrofitted a little bit. Uh, and then we've got our new farm, which we started five years ago, which is uh, about 85 hectares now, and that's in the Miltree Valley. So it gives us, you know, uh, the, the idea of focusing on that gives us two or three different soil types that we can um Change different varieties around that we know excel in those certain soil types, which give us, you know, maximize our oils, aromas, um, harvest windows, everything. So yeah, it's, it's turned into quite a big operation now. Um, Fantastic. And yeah. It's interesting Fantastic. actually,
2: I was going to say um, the uh, the stuff that Brent's been doing because of the fact that he has multiple farms has sort of led other growers who have also now got multiple blocks or multiple bits of land to start doing the same thing. So.
1: It's interesting to watch the, the transition of varieties into different parts of uh, Nelson, so. You, you might call me crazy, Paul, but I was on the digger last night, and all of the and the day before, and we're actually pulling out some Nelson Sovereign. Now, that sounds like sacrilege to people, but on our home farm, um, it, it doesn't grow as well as what it should do, but then on our mercury farm, it grows, it excels. Um, so as a farmer, you've got to make those decisions. It's been a tough one. It's been two or three years in the, in the making. Um, But by removing Nelson Sovin out of our block that we've got it at home, it also will take a bit of the mite content out of it. It's our last block that we really have spent a lot of money on putting predator mites in and things trying to fight the mites. So if we remove that, hopefully all of a sudden our farm becomes less challenging over, over the summer period if we get those spikes in temperatures.
0: So, are you putting different varieties back at home farm, or are you, are you coming out of uh, the hops? You, you, so, so there's, yep. there's a variety will grow in those conditions uh, better. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yep. So, um, you know, we'll be putting in some nectar on there, and also one of the older varieties, um, Doctor Rudy, we'll be putting replacing that. Not for the fact that Doctor Rudy's got. Um, it, it's got a very stable market, but it's because the following year we'll be pulling it back out because we've got a, a hect- uh, an area there that's 22 years old. So we're finding that, you know, our hot plants, are, we would like to have a 20-year rotation at, at the top end because after that, the viability um, sort of put it, you know, it, it kind of levels it, off, doesn't it? It levels yeah. off and, and it doesn't handle the fluctuations that we're having in these different weather events that we have. Um, so, you know, it you think, gee was 20 years is a long time, but Buddy hell, he years yes. were all owned by frequently, you know. The guys <laughs> were just saying to, oh, yesterday, man, we'll be struggling in another six weeks. <laughs> I know, it's you crazy, know? Isn't it? It's crazy. It is crazy. No, I
0: must admit, it's, uh, it's an interesting point you make about the age of the plants, because the most noticeable uh, sort of thing I saw, it, it was in Czech Republic with SARS, and they get to 15 years, and then they pull them out and automatically replace them because their yield just slides straight off at 15 years so i think you're doing pretty well with 20 yeah
2: yeah and and we have had longer than that as well i mean some of the yields haven't dropped for some plants that have been up to 30 and 40 years old which you think's incredible really they're
1: just last year we're pulling out 30 year old plants and, and and basically they they hit a bit of a peak you know you get the rise and then they just sort of just muddle along and you within about sort of a couple of hundred kilograms a year you can normally get it but you've got to really look after your soils um, to, to maintain a strong plant out that low um, and and that harbours a, a better environment for everything to grow in um, and then yeah, it, it's it's these weather fluctuations that all growers are recognising around the world, we're not getting our traditional periods, I'm hoping this year we're in for a bit more of a traditional sort of a winter um, we've, we've had Probably eight frosts, you know, reasonable frosts already, which is great. You know, before June we were barely kicked into full winter. Um, we had yeah, very, hundred,
2: very few last year as well, didn't we? Pretty there? much, none. Yeah, yeah, it was like one so, half of half of one. Yeah. So basically, if we don't get
1: hot, uh, if we don't get the frosts or decent amount of frosts, you can already cast away ten to fifteen percent of your crop, um, regardless um, of, of how it goes, because it just use up storage in that tank as a hot plant. They slowly, slowly tick away over winter when you want them to shut down and go to bed and take it easy for a while. So, Yeah, Vernalization period. Peter
0: Darby always told me that was called the vernalization period when they plant shut down and wake up again in the spring. It's, uh, yeah, they, they you don't know, want to use all
2: those carbohydrates it's over Such, such a great student, Paul, aren't you?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, don't miss a I always learn something when I talk to Peter Darby, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Yeah, interestingly, you mentioned uh, the Brough Pickers. Um, The first time I came to New Zealand was in 2007, and uh, we went to Colin Oldham's farm, and the first machine I walked into was a Brough Picker, and I was absolutely flabbergasted because the Brough Factory is literally a mile and a half, two miles from where I live here, and it's no longer a a Brough Factory. It's a a, um, a industrialist, small, very small industrial park for offices and storage but um, to see them in New Zealand was quite a shock. But apparently, quite a lot of those machines came over uh, in the early days.
1: Yeah, 1963 was when we installed our Bruff machine. So the early to mid 60s was a transition period for New Zealand hop farmers. You know, back then there were between 50 and 60 hop farms, all had hand pickers. Um, you know, you'd have 30, 40, 50, 60 people, and you know, back early, early on, one day we had one of our hop gardens fall down and we had actually the local schools took two days off and helped pick our hops. You know, I'd love to see that happen these days. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, that would be an interesting scenario, wouldn't
1: it? Yeah, I mean, the bruff machines were seen as the ones that could handle our big, heavy, hefty kind of bushy hops. Um, So that's why predominantly they were seen as the ones to bring out. We actually... Our second machine we've got, we mothballed for about 20 years. Dad bought it back from the Guinness farm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been there for a while. But, you know, we've retrofitted a lot of things behind it. We, we like the the way that the bruffs pick, um, how that works. And up at the new farm, we've got um, our two wolf picking fronts. Um, but we have, and behind the wolf picking fronts, we have American cleaning gear. And, yeah. and we find that is a very, very good... Way of picking hops, um, very cleanly, um, but yeah, the, they they work very very well. You know, they, as long as you keep the maintenance up, those 1963 machines can can yeah. handle just as much as what a, a one with a new label can. Mm-hmm. And I think people get quite surprised when they come through our. Brewers come through our machines they see the bruffs at the front and they sort of had a wee chip and they get to the end of the machine they go holy smokes this thing can really hum can't it yeah. so.
2: it's, it's interesting as well because we, we obviously took on quite a few new growers about four years ago now and um they all went went a lot many of them went for wolf you know course, installed yeah. wolf machines and you know day one they're, they're struggling to get their leaf and stalk you know percentages on this brand new shiny kit and rent sitting here with some old kit doing a fantastic job so it's uh it's a lot about what you know is, at least from what i've learned is, is is you you can't just have a new machine you've actually got to really well understand it and make modifications pretty
1: heavily and pretty quickly yeah. Yeah. And, yeah and you mentioned mentioned colin olden well he's just completely redone his whole machine there at new Hoplands, and and they have they've still left the top the rough picking fronts at the front end um you know and everything else brand, yep yep wow. everything else is brand new shiny behind and and he's he's pulled out some incredible results this year mm. it was really at the, at the top end of, of hot picking in the world i'd say Very so, good. Well, yeah, the Guinness hop
0: farm where your machine came from is about a half a mile from our offices, so it really no. is quite a queer, strange coincidence that uh, yeah. up here and the Guinness farms right near our office, about eight, nine miles away from where I am now, so yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. But good to see you're still getting plenty of use, Adam, after all this time.
1: Yeah, there'll be plenty more toad <laughs> pork. <laughs>
0: So uh, a few months ago we finished the harvest um and uh how did that go how, how was the season this year is it has it been a good season or a difficult season how did you get on
2: yeah a bit of a bit of mixed i'll let brent talk about the sort of um the, the 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 singles hail event that we had this season that was pretty significant overall uh it was it was probably about 85 90 percent of what we had last season we had an incredible season in 2020 i mean that crop was I've I've only been here eight years and, and it was the best harvest season. Everything sort of fell in line. There were challenges like, like all seasons but in terms of the timing of rainfall and, and other bits and pieces and the high sunshine blocks, it was just fantastic. So we had about a plus 18% yield increase that season just based on uh, awesome conditions. Um, and then this year everything was a little bit more muted, less sort of sunshine blocks. Um, rain fell in the right places. so rain wasn't really a major issue but then we had a pretty significant hail event on Boxing Day, which really sort of knocked the top off of our pint and um, and took a lot of the surplus we were hoping for um, out of the crop. And Brent, he'll talk about it in a second, but Brent was one of the, the farmers affected on two farms, unfortunately. So five farms in total um, were were crop dusted with with hail um, over a very significant uh, period of time. So I'll probably transfer over to you, but yeah, it was a pretty I did, pretty I major loss.
0: I did see the video. Yeah. I think it was you posted, Brenda, a video online uh, and walking through the the, the field after it had been decimated by hail. That must have been pretty depressing.
1: Yeah, no, it was. You know, we we get scatters of hail every year. You know, but if you can get away with three to five minutes, but forty minutes of hail is is quite a phenomenon. And, and, and in places, you're nearly up to a foot of hail lying on the ground. It was it was quite unreal. And yeah, there was a video that that, that one of the local reporters did and. and he actually put his camera down. And he said, do "You know what, Brent? Do you know what this reminds me of?" I said, "No, what does it remind you of?" And he said, "This is when I was like when I went to Auschwitz." He said, "You know, there used to be something amazing growing here, and now it's just been absolutely decimated." Wow. And he said, "It just looks, and it was unbelievable." You'll see, if people have seen the photos, it just <laughs> was absolutely stripped. The the year before that crop was a. Uh, Absolutely stunning Nelson Solomon crop, and we yeah. were it was even shaking up to we were hoping to be even better this year. Um, but yeah, to, to be hit over two different areas, basically, the, the hailstorm covered a, about a 50 to 60 kilometre area, and it's probably taken about um, between 150 and 200 million dollars out of our community. Whether all the apples got written off, the kiwi fruit, um, buildings got collapsed in town. Um, yeah, she was quite a phenomenon, really. Um, sounds, it's quite cool. like a big storm. Hmm.
2: Yeah, it was pretty significant. Um, uh, and then on the the flip side of that, I guess is the is is why we're we're a cooperative. You know, we we're we're a group of twenty seven farms. Brent has two of them, and um, and also manages a third, really. And um, yeah, it's, uh, whenever you get those significant events, that uh, you know, I had fifty million phone calls on the first. Day we were back in January after the, the Boxing Day hail event, and um, everybody was concerned about their crop, but we really didn't come up short in in, in most areas that we needed to supply. So I think Waimea was was the only one that was really um, you know short this season for most customers. The rest of of their hops were, could be covered by surpluses from other growers. So. Yeah. yeah, in terms of significance, it was significant um, and, and unfortunate. But you can't really plan for these things. It's not like you can ever. I, it's never happened in the whole time I've been in Nelson, and we asked. We look back further than that, and I've, nobody's ever seen a forty-minute uh hailstorm of that magnitude so it's just a freak event.
0: we don't like those at any time of year do we really <laughs> it's, right. it's, uh, the, the, nice. the, the
1: only
2: sa- the only saving grace about the whole thing was it made it very easy to calculate what we lost because what, what what got stripped was gone you know it wasn't yeah. coming back and it, it was pretty easy there were there was a couple of blocks that were on the fringes of that that event that just bounced back and were fine um, but for the most part, the stuff that did get hit in the in the epicenter were just totally totally taken out.
0: So we
1: we actually managed to turn some blocks around, which we were already happy about. We really, as soon as that happened, it was like, well, what do you do? Put your head in the sand, or do you get out there and sort it out? So we wanted the plant health to be as as best as we could possibly make it, and so there were really only. About three blocks that we walked away from because they were just they were just too far gone. But we still kept our fertilizer up to them to run them as if they're a you know a normal crop year. Um, you know they still need their their strength for the following year and they need to shut down with everything. And so you still got those associated costs. You just don't have anything coming back into the system. So yeah, it was just, yeah.
0: Do you think the plants will recover safely? There won't be any after effects this year.
1: To be honest with you, Paul, they could even recover even better. You know, they right. haven't cracked, they haven't carried a full crop. You know, in times when there were surpluses around the world, people would would rest a field for a year that might have been getting a bit tired, and it would come back into line the, the following you know season. So um, that's what we're hoping. We, we certainly have given them. They shut down with all that they they needed. So um,
2: I think yeah. the other great takeaway for us, uh, Brent's also our, our our only licensed trial uh, uh, grower um, who manages a lot of our trials, um, and he's got them all in a, in a single block. Um, and we were looking at that, we were busy looking at those trials for the the whole aroma and sensory side of things, but.
0: A couple of those plants got smashed as well. And and the ones that rebounded looked like they'd
2: never been touched. Um, and wow. they're also the ones that are closest to commercialization. So for us it was it was a great example of yeah. <laughs> what we breed for. No, but it was it was ridiculous because I came out about a week after the hail. I thought it was a bit rude to just turn up on the day of and go, sorry, mate, <laughs> you know. But um yeah, came came and Brent said, Oh no, no, it's not as not as bad as it all looks. We're gonna sort some of this out, we've got a plan for this, blah blah blah. And then i come back about four or five weeks after that and i looked at the same plant and went what the hell it looked like it never been touched so because i think it, it, it was just before some of those laterals had come out the plant had sort of evaded a, a, a heavy heavy parts of that damage and, and that gave me confidence i guess because we're getting we're getting some crazy yields off of some of these advanced trials and we're looking at them you know a little bit slanted like is that is that even real you know because of the the high high volume of them. And um, yeah, to have them rebound like that was a was a great part of the whole um, annual process. So yeah, so I, was great. I guess those
0: must be later maturing varieties. If they hadn't set the laterals and others have, they must be slightly later.
1: Yeah, it kind of yeah, unfortunately it hit right at the pocket at the very worst time. You've got those those vines that really only have a week left before they start burring, and then you've got those other varieties that that Barely over the top of the wire, so you know that, that that was the challenge at the time. And you know, I had a next door neighbor, I went to turn the irrigation on about four or five days later, and he said, Oh, what are you doing? I said, well, What do you mean? He said, Well, isn't your crop stuffed? I said, No, you just watch this, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, we managed to turn it around pretty quick, you know, oh, some you things not too bad, but um, yeah, no, so as you said, um, as George said, that's the beauty of the cooperative, you know, we span over. 50, 60 uh, Ks, the way the, the crow flies, sort of things. And in that we've got several different valleys, and, and some valleys will be unlucky some years, and, and other valleys will 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 profit or you know be better for it. So that's that's the beauty of, of coming to a cooperative like this. You've got that spread, and in that spread, you've got different soil types. and that different soil types, you become a balance of a hot variety. So yeah,
0: and if one farm was affected.
1: You could lose your crop and you might not get your hops. So it's, it's 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 much better to have that spread over over a number of farms, absolutely. And yeah. another thing that happened too, Paul, with with the season was we noticed that the sunshine hours were were mostly there for us. Um they're, they're a bit sluggish coming on, but the the light intensity itself, you know, we had a lot of gray days and especially during harvest. So harvest was a very big um, it was actually great, you know. There was a lot of communication between growers, and the growers were ring up going, "Oh man, my Nelson Solvin's not ready. Have you harvested yours and done this? Would normally be harvesting by now." And it's like, well, good on you for for holding back and waiting until it was ready. Um, and you know, I think I counted up, we had something like eighteen growing days that were not really growing days because it was just dull. It would probably be a nice day in your part of the world, but it was horrible for us. <laughs> You know we, we need those sunshine hours especially at the latter part of harvest so there were people harvest windows were quite different this year and it was great to see people adapting to the results that they were seeing pre-harvesting those crops and going well actually I'm going to wait for another three or four days because it's not quite ready and it was only until probably the last five six seven days before you'd walk into those paddocks or the fields and you go wow the aroma is finally here where normally you'd, you'd go into those fields Two to three weeks earlier and you could already you know get it on the nose so so it took a lot of more careful management and and a lot of communication it was brilliant um it, it worked very well between growers and, and that sharing of knowledge just all helps to streamline the product really absolutely yeah that's really good
0: and and what about uh obviously we've, we've had this coronavirus crisis how did that affect your uh, availability of labour or
1: anything else? Did you have any other problems with with coronavirus this year? Um, we managed to scrape by with labour. Uh, this year is going to be a bit more of a problem that we've got coming up. Um, we've right. got uh, in the next well at the end of this month, we've got um, the extended visa holders. You know the backpackers and the things like that. We're not sure if they're going to get renewed, which would be a real shame for the whole horticultural industry over here. We rely on those guys to fill the gaps in and around our normal um, casual staff that we have. Um, So yeah, there's a lot of concerns around labour because there's not many people coming into the country. In fact, very much little. Yeah,
2: we're putting a bit of pressure on the government. Every every sector is at the moment to say, look, the simplest solution to this is give everyone a one year extension to their visas and, and carry on. We do want um, all of the seasonal travellers that we have um, that help us with these, not just hops, but kiwi fruit and everything else. So um, yeah, we just I think the the government will the government's been really good up till this point. So I don't see you know I think they'll see the, the light at the end of the tunnel there.
1: The, the funny thing I see Paul is is you get you know um, English backpackers, German backpackers, American backpackers, you name it from all around, um, and you go back to your own country and you'll very rarely see. A young English fella or, or female on the farm, you know, working away, but yet they come to this part of the world as backpackers and they absolutely love it. You know, it, it's a real shame that it can't be reciprocated and they go back home and go, do you know what, I'm going to go and do a hop harvest or I'm going to go and help on the hop farm. And I, th- uh, I think
0: it seems a lot more romantic coming to New Zealand. <laughs> yeah,
1: <than this. laughs> they're going
0: down to camp, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I want to for a for that, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: You know, and, and the people, the young people that do join into our industry that, that we do have now, and we're seeing a few more come into the system, but they they take hold of the hot growing system and they just really thrive. They, You know, obviously they see what the end product is and they see us getting through to the customer end and um, they really want to be a part of it. Um, it's just getting that word out there that it's actually a really neat little industry to work in. Absolutely. Um, and, and it's... It's an industry that in any one day you can be doing several different things on a farm and and the more we can encourage the younger generation that hey farming is a real option for you guys you know last weekend I went to one of our staffs um, housewarming he'd just bought his first house and absolutely over the moon he'd come his family had come to New Zealand as as a refugee family and um, for him to be buying his own house and when house, housing prices are at their peak, you know, Brilliant, good on them. You can see that the the money that they earn, that they do a, a damn good job earning for us, is going back into their own families, and and that's what we like to see as growers too. You know? That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And I, and I think you know uh, it's
0: it's a great story, isn't it? That people can come and work on farms. I think a lot of um, people, particularly in the UK, have, have forgotten about working on farms as a potentially as a as a, as a career or even as just a um, a stopgap during their university years or something like that it's a great experience and you meet lots of different people from all over the world and uh, you do uh, you do learn a lot and they say once you've been scratched by the hop uh, you
1: you can never leave them alone can you you're always
0: involved
1: (laughs) (laughs) i mean uh, that's you you know you have the nail on the head the farming systems are really great to be in. you you meet a a wide variety of people um, who get on to work in a team um, and you'll often find the quiet ones that start off in your season often end up being the ones who are really pulling other people along at the end of the season so you know it's it's all a, a great community to be a part of really. there's,
2: there's also a big renaissance into um, sustainable farming practices so obviously we've got a lot of dairy and other industries here that are, that are trying to work on that that area and improvement but a lot of them are, are seeing easier opportunities to to create a sustainable future through hop farming so we, we were only talking to a, a Canterbury-based operation the other day around um, whether or not they're, they're, they've been doing some grow trials for us for the last two years, so they've proved they can grow, grow hops down in that place, don't necessarily get the same exact yields that we would get up here with all of our sunshine, but they, they've proved it can be done um, on a commercial level and uh, that, that their whole interest in transitioning to hops is because of the whole sustainability piece for them Uh, canterbury has some issues with water uh uh, and effluent and 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 off run into rivers so they're looking at how they can optimize their farms towards um more sustainable future. so um they're they're being given that option and you you guys have done some work in that space on um on the fuel side of things haven't you you've um, yeah
1: so um we when we put in our new farm we we wanted we've Realise that the drying of the hops is the most energy um, use a hop farm has. Um, so we uh, put in a stonking great big um, wood chip boiler. Um, so we've got a huge amount of forestry in our area. We actually personally own a forest, um, our family, because we bought our forest about fifteen plus years ago. Um, you know, we were using coal as as our Form of heating because it's the only form of heating we could really get over over and above diesel here in, in our part of the south island um so the majority of them were coal boilers i mean you know as soon as you mention coal to people <clears throat> the, the the rap that it's had over time um unfortunately the new zealand coal actually burns burns very efficiently and that's why it's exported around the world because of, of how how well it does actually fire but um Anyway, we we decide to go for a change, so we've we've got probably the well, I'd say we do have the biggest wood chip boiler in, in world hot farming. Um, so it's it's works very very well. Um, we can utilise local chipped up wood from um, from uh, t- sawmills, timber mills, offcuts, things like that. They come through chipped up into smaller chips, and then we feed them into the boiler. And then with our coal boiler, two years ago we changed it over to a, a wood pellet fire. So that's basically sawdust it's packed in tight and um, put into a run through like a a pelleting plant as well, and it gets fed into our machine now. The that all comes with cost. Um, the the wood chip uh, oh, sorry the wood pellet is probably at least two to two and a half times the price of coal, um, and it's up there sort of with the the diesel price, um, but. You know, we're using a product that that's going to be sustainable that we can actually sell, and it, it's completely dropped all of our emissions down towards the ground. So
0: fantastic! I think that's something we all need to learn from. To be honest with you, you know, that is uh, something that George and I were talking about before we came on before we came yeah. on air as well about electric electric vehicles and where, where we yeah. should be heading with everything. And I think it's uh, admirable that you're you're investing in uh, a more sustainable future. This it's it's definitely the right way to go. Yeah.
2: yeah it's a bit it's a bit of a buzzword but i think the co-op's really seriously looking at other streams in that space and not just the, the wood project um we're, our plant and food research is looking into textiles option for some of the green materials. so rather than it go to compost it does make a downside is it makes a fantastic compost but um there is an opportunity here for us in new zealand to look at that in the textile space so there's a lot of um Plant fibres and protein in, in those binds and um, there's there's a good couple of options there that you can use you know t- if we're producing around 1100 metric tons of hops annually you can just imagine the amount of, of green material that we could capture and and reuse so we're, we're looking at all those sorts of downstream things as, as a way of recycling some of that material as
1: well and then for our the farm Paul you know the compost system for us that hot hop compost produces is an absolutely stunning um compost to put back on out on your ground you know you get it you get it analyzed and it comes back and you're like man this is more this is rocker field so we we as a farm have spent many many years doing composting um, and now we've, we've um, worked with the New Zealand company who who produces a um, hop compostable twine um, so we've matched that with the likes of our Normal strings that we're using, um, and also some coir and it's now I I um, turned the compost uh, four weeks ago, which was what about four or five weeks after harvest, and eighty five percent of our string has disappeared already. Um, wow. So within we we were aiming for this to break down within ninety to one hundred and twenty days in our compost, but it's almost completely disintegrated already. That's fantastic. Um, no no
0: problems for during the growing season with weak strings or anything. They were all.
1: Okay. no, no we' we've we've done very well actually um so the 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 so-called trial area that everyone's had, you know we had um, probably about in the region of it may have been four three two two hundred and fifty three hundred hectares were were trialed with it and um there's more being ordered for this year um, so yeah, I think every, every every brother that we've got sort of waited for that trial to go through naturally before yeah. they
2: jumped on but <laughs> Entirely. they're pretty
1: convinced by it so. Yeah, it, it's more, again it's a more expensive option but it, it has its benefits in terms of it, you know your compost can can be turned over um, with no string holding it together and um, you know I've, I've spent my spent my time in the, the American side of composting and things like that too and we're lucky we have the moisture in our compost over here to, to really ramp up the heat especially over winter you're sort of aiming at getting it up around that sort of 60 degree mark if you can or 140 degree Fahrenheit and then the longer you can keep it and at that heat the better composting you're making Um, so there's a whole whole different, you could make a whole different industry around it, you know we we um, have a lot of people who just come and pick up for their gardens and my garden at home personally, our veggie garden at home I've never put one drop of fertiliser on it it's just all hot compost and the, the, the fruit's absolutely stunning, we put it in our glass house and we sell organic fruit at our uh, vegetables at our Gate, and we have people who just stand there and eat our lettuces off the stall. or They eat the cucumbers or stuff like that, and they're like, "How do you guys get the flavour into your into your vegetables?" And we're just like, "Well, we don't, we don't do anything different. We just it's all natural." So,
2: no, I did see that image of you squeezing passion fruit
0: on the hops <laughs> <laughs> so I, Excellent, yeah. excellent. So that, that, that's that's all great stuff. I mean, and there's I think there's so much more to learn with. Uh, the sustainability angle and, and what we can do going forward as, as, as a hop industry, but uh, how, how about the varieties? What's happening, um, you know, during lockdown, and what what are people doing about their uh, their contracts? Are there any people rolling forward? Is that working, or uh, and how are you controlling uh, the sort of volumes? Is that going to be a problem for you coming this year?
2: Yeah, it, it's been a, it's been a challenge not for us here in New Zealand because we re- we only locked down for uh, you know March, the end of March last year when COVID struck. We locked down out of precaution, but there wasn't very many cases. It was sub fifty in, in New Zealand or whatever at the time, and it, I think the most it ever got to was a hundred, and they're all in managed isolation anyway. So, um, so everybody
0: could carry on drinking beer, no problem.
2: Well, beer, beer, beer. sales went up, so obviously um, we we uh, there's, there's been a number of craft beer subscriptions start up as a result. Their, their business is booming because people are just ordering mixed packs of beer and drinking. Drinking a lot at home. I had, a, I had a stout last night to try and cure this damn damn man cold that I have. But um, yeah, the, the you got to try,
0: try try anything. Um, if you can sell beer as a cure for cold, you, you do well <laughs> <enjoy it today. laughs>
2: <laughs> it was it was a three boys oyster stout i thought it must have had some special properties in it so um there you go <laughs> uh yeah no the in terms of our dis- disruption to business has been pretty significant so we're an export business primarily we we, we, we supply 15 to 20 percent into the, the new zealand market we've, we've got a big beer i think we're third or fourth you know for beer drinking in the world maybe maybe in that sort of top five category. We, we definitely drink a lot per capita, but we just don't have the population to support all the hops that we grow. So, as you know, we export a huge amount to you guys in the UK and um, into the US and Australia. So, uh, for us, the, the major challenges have been twofold. One is our distributors like yourselves have been heavily impacted. So, customers in the UK haven't been able to brew. So, so naturally, those, those hops have not been sold and, and and those conversations with customers about how those contracts are managed um, uh, have been being had, but it's a very tricky thing on the growing side of things because naturally you can't, you can't really take a gap year from growing hops, although we have um, and and we've been trying to be proactive on this side of things. So the hail in some weird turn of events has helped because some of that surplus wasn't necessary at this point for the market where it's at. So um, that's been beneficial in some ways, Um, but at the same time the, the challenge has also been global shipping so getting the hops to, to brewers um, by sea freight has been the main challenge Air airfreight's uh, readily available but at a, at a high cost so it's been a bit of a barrier to sort of getting some some new new product development done especially on new hop varieties like nectar on things like that um have been a bit of a challenge just because the the, the cost of air freight's nearly a third of what the hop costs you know in places yeah. and that yeah. starts to become a bit untenable so we, we have a high cost of hop production anyway, so our hops aren't the cheapest that you can find out there in the global market. Um, but um, the added cost of freight starts to make them really um, re- really quite expensive. So it's rationalising a bit of that and, and finding some middle ground so that customers can can get a fair price and also get a, get a high-quality hop. We have actually probably focused just as much attention in that COVID season. The, 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 the other benefit we've had from COVID is we really had an opportunity to... Um, look at our harvest windows a whole bunch of um, optimization things that we could do on farm so um, we spent a lot of time in the lead up to this 2021 harvest um, uh, practicing for a harvest in terms of like as Brent said earlier that the harvest window shifting around and figuring out what needed to be grown and what didn't need to be grown we've sort of been able to manage that and stagger that a wee bit Um, but yeah in terms of sales impacts, it's been pretty significant we uh, we didn't qualify last year for the for the grant because I think you needed to be a thir- over 30% impacted, and I think we were 28.9% impacted. So we gave back the uh, the, the grant money to the government, and um, and really we've been sort of reliant on our uh, distributors globally to sort of keep keep channels open, make sure those brewers who 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 are able to brew, especially in package, um, have hop supply, but has been a real um, about face for us in terms of looking at the varieties that we grow and saying, well, uh, COVID's impacted um, a lot of the varieties that were not in, in core range beers. So how many of those hops do we need to grow in the following seasons? You know, we just don't really know. Um, really tricky, that, one, yeah, I mean, a lot of them were were, were sold out, you know, and we, we couldn't grow enough of them. And now all of a sudden the market sort of got 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 enough because places aren't open. So, uh, we're rationalizing a little bit of that in terms of the growing side so that we can um, pull some and plant others. So it's a bit of optimization going yeah, on. I think,
0: I think the great thing from a brewing point of view, though, is that some of these varieties that you haven't been able to get hold of before as brewers are now becoming more available. Nelson Sogon has always been one we've struggled to get enough of for our customers in, the, in, in Europe. And now that you know they're, they're more readily available. So... Uh, the message to anybody out there who's uh, looking at brewing is these varieties now are ready to go and you can have yeah, a go
1: yeah, with them yeah. if you need to. I think and we, we had other varieties too that were gaining cr- traction you know pre-COVID and and we were planting up to that traction um, you know with, with certain uh, around the, the newer kind of varieties that probably haven't heard much of about brewers and and, you know, uh, us ourselves, we we have some beers sent from us, and we go, oh, my goodness, this is a great beer. You know, we really need to get these hops out because, you know, people haven't had the ability to try them. Um, they're, they're less reluctant to put on a, a reasonable order. So,
2: I think I think the other thing as well is, um, we really haven't had major supply challenges. So, so, what you said is true. We have for the for, for a very long period of time, Nelson it's been the little flagship hop that everybody's been been chasing. Um, but, but it was about three, four years ago where we took on 10 new growers. So what we got to a point with the existing grower group where we said there's not as much land, um, there's not enough land in the co op, so we'll bring some in from, from other interested parties. And we've, we did that really. So um, there hasn't really been major supply issues for most New Zealand varieties for about three, four years now. It started to, to, to level out, and supply's been pretty good. There, there are shortages for some of the newer ones that we're busy commercialising, so Nectarons the big, big one that everybody's hearing um, rave reviews about at the moment. And, and we're, we're heavily scaling that up just as quickly as we can um, to meet sort of demand. Um, we sold out this season. You guys will be getting a small amount of that, that crop this season, but we'll have a lot more coming on board next year. So. Um, that transition towards what the market's looking for now is is, is our focal point, um, but we don't want to pull hops that we're not sure that might that there might be demand for. So it's a it's a chicken and the egg. You got to you got to make some bold moves about things. Um, we're doing that with Nectar on and we've got some other really cool trials that uh, are coming through that we think will be pretty successful. So. Um, we'll just we'll just sort of um, ride the wave as it as it is and
1: um, see see where we land. We've still got to remember, Paul. We are an island nation in the in the arse end of the world. Really, you know, we're four thousand kilometres from Australia. And, and it, thank, it, thank, it's, God. It's, thank God, <laughs> it has been great to hold a pandemic and a disease out. But as as businesses start to look for. Um, especially export, we're very much an exporting nation and if we're not getting those ships coming into our country because they're busy in other countries because they're flat out with all online orders because someone wants to get a a a cell phone case for their cover or for their phone or things like that they're they're more likely to to divert It's a
2: very specific example I feel like you've (laughs) you've been jipped on a shipment from China (laughs) But but, you know they're
1: more likely to stay within their territory than they are to bench down and we've had a few shipping lines that have have cancelled into New Zealand because we're simply down that part of the world We're
2: too too small to call into occasionally so um,
0: yeah
2: yeah, there's a lot of of port emissions which have been a bit of a challenge for us but um, yeah, I we've know been, been talking to, out, yeah, it out.
0: yeah, we've been talking to Christine, and she's been apologising. We've had a booking, and now it's been cancelled, and now we've got yeah. another one. And yeah, it's been quite a challenge for you guys to get the the containers booked well, up.
2: We're at the point now where we, we, we're we shipping out of any port in New Zealand. So typically we'd ship your stock out of Nelson and, and no, no dramas. And then now we're shipping out of Littleton because that one's getting a vessel landing in it. So it's just being being a bit creative and proactive about how you get them out. But it, it, it's happening. Um, I think the major thing with bookings is is sort of getting them in advance, but we're trying to align that with our production schedule. So trying to sort of uh, make sure the boat lands at the time that the, the next container can go. So it's just a just a logistical challenge.
1: I've got to hand it to the, the guys here, you know, the production schedule from this side of things with the pallet and everything like that has is, is, is been brilliant. <laughs> It's been probably it's by far been the best year we've had in terms of getting volume and stuff done. It's just yeah, we know if, if we had the containers lining up at the door, people would be brewing with them right now. But but it's um, yeah,
2: we, we made a lot of that was the that was the beauty, I guess, for us of COVID is, the, is a bit of a gap year to look at everything. So we we redid the health and safety program, made sure we were up to speed with all the the new conditions. Um, but following that, we said, how can we process faster? So we moved from a five day. We knew all of this was coming basically. So we. We moved from a five-day processing week on limited, you know, normal working hours to a seven-day processing a week on a rotational ten-hour shifts. So we, we, we're, we're cranking the hops out way faster than we ever have, and that's been great. So um, certainly no issues there. It's just making sure you can get a booking with the with the local um, sea freight provider and, and getting it out. To places it, you it, to speak it's better.
0: quite a it's quite a fine line, isn't it? Getting the product in, getting them processed, and then getting them moved out, and not over overpopulating the stores too quickly getting everything moving nicely is, yeah. is, is is a very skilled art really yeah yeah no there's
2: definitely a peak to it um but that's a fun challenge that's why we do it you know yeah absolutely absolutely
0: and so just looking forward um you know, obviously uh, as we were saying just before the meeting started it's only a few weeks and you guys will start working and as the winter comes around and goes and goes and the spring becomes uh, Summer, you, you uh, are looking forward to the next season? Ha, what sort of things are you expecting? Obviously problems with uh, labour by the sounds of things, but fingers crossed that that'll be, that'll be solved. There, anything else on the horizon that we should know about?
2: um yeah other than some some sort of um ongoing trial work that we've still got for some of the advanced hops um our main agenda i guess is a bit of a reset so trying to work out what brewers especially in the uk some of our other markets like the us uh, are a lot more buoyant you know you can say that they, they just have the ability state by state to be open and australia is pretty much an open open playing field so so i think in terms of our long-term um, uh, changes for, the, for next season. It's really about reassessing what the, the, the European and the British market needs from New Zealand hops. You know, What are the varieties that those brewers are seeking most? Um, and then also working to sort of educate on some lesser known varieties, uh, much like yourselves. There's a, there's a lot of varieties out there, um, a good range of them. It's all about the education for, for the use of those hops. So doing a little bit more of that, working in a bit closer with the brewers on that, and then um, and then making some final decisions on what to uh, what to adjust finally. Um, we grow 18 uh, of our own varieties here, four foreign varieties, a bit of Fuggle, a bit of Chinook and um, another five is organic. So for us, we're looking at the the, the older hop varieties at what we call our heirloom hop varieties and saying the ones that, that are in a, a strong position contractually uh, and have um, agreements for growing will continue to grow and the other ones that don't have strong positions, we can take out because we are really trying to move into some of the new varieties that we've got waiting in the wings that are just waiting for a little bit of land to um, to plant on. So um, that's really the the innovation piece that we're most excited about for next season.
0: Yeah, it sounds it sounds fascinating. I think that the interesting thing here now is we've got a lot of brewers who are saying to us, "Oh, I don't need to contract. There's going to be loads of hops around. You know, why do I need to contract?" and Specifically, if you're looking for something that you've been using for a long time, that's a, an older variety or even some of the new varieties, you've got to sort of make sure that your contracts are in place because if they're not, these hops might be moved out sold uh, yeah, to somebody uh, else or, or, or not grown at all, isn't it? It's important to get those contracts
1: in. I think is the message. It's a very good, yeah, it's a very good point, Paul, because um, we've got, uh, at this time of year over here, we are sitting down with the likes of George and, and our marketing team and going, oh guys. Because we're not looking for 2022, we're looking for 2023. So for our mm-hmm. propagation systems, we start this year, <clears throat> do our small, you know, cuttings, and then we grow them on the following year, and it's uh, the following spring that we plant them. So we're crystal balling quite a bit, and we're saying, you know, okay, we've got a great um, variety here, an older heirloom variety here, which we're happy to grow on our farms. Are now getting. 20, 25 years old, do we keep them in? Should we be pulling them out, putting in, in the newer varieties and things like that? So if we don't get that feedback from brewers saying this is going to be in my beer for the next three to five years of these old varieties, unfortunately they're going to get removed Yeah, and, yeah, and, and, and not put, put back into the system again. So yeah. we need the most feedback we can get from brewers is the most important thing because we don't want to see anyone go out and we love our old healing varieties it's just because it's older doesn't mean I mean, the whole beauty about craft beer and the brewing industry is I've pulled some of these varieties that you would have passed off as a generic variety back 15, 20 years ago. Mate, and you 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 drink a beer of it and you're like, oh, what's in what? This is in this can? And you're yeah. like, wow, you know, they've created an own art around what they do with hops. And and just because it's old, just like yourself, Paul, it, it doesn't matter. You're still, it's still not a bad egg. You're not the wrong. One.
0: It's still life from the old dog, is what you're trying to say. Yeah. Well, it's
2: it's it's a, it's the ultimate communication tool. Brewers sometimes have a slanted sort of eye to contracts because they think, oh, you know, I don't want to get long. and you know, and and they have they have a very uncertain future ahead of them. So we we can totally appreciate that from from their point of view. Um, from our point of view contracts are are, uh, that communication tool and a way of voting with your feet so we've had a number of brewers uh, especially in some of the pacific islands and different places who who they they don't necessarily want some of the new innovation series coming off they absolutely love waka Two and dr rudy and green bullet and they have them in lagers and and that's the only hop they have in that lager and and they've come to us this year and said oh look you know can we get bits and pieces of you know just order it on spot again and we've had to say look we're down to the down to contracts on those as far as what we grow we just we have no insight or perspective into the future so therefore we we don't grow it and when you get better opportunities to grow other things that are more confirmed you you'll you gravitate towards that so I always tell Brewers you 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 guys are the ones who can ultimately pick the future for, for the varieties that you want to use um, uh, contracts are your way of doing that so we've had Brewers here contract out three years. Um, into some of the smaller varieties that we grow just to make sure it's impossible for us to pull it out. So, um, you know, things like um, New Zealand Chinook, uh, well, which is not obviously our own variety, but but in order to prevent it from coming out of the ground, because we only grow about 2,000 yeah. kilos a year, the brewer said, absolutely not. Because a chance conversation led to, um, to, uh, to me saying, oh, no, it's coming out. We, we You know, we can't grow so many of them and it's pretty small. And absolutely not how many years does it require blah 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 done and he's very they're very happy with the whole process so contracts are, are really that communication tool and we we've, we've been very flexible with our customers on contracts so that when they do get long we mostly work with them as long as we can see that they've they've really stumbled upon hard times and it's not something they've done you know through their own lack of um, procurement planning so it's it's really the best way to to plan this industry otherwise the other thing we have as well as is, 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 is market competition. So a lot of brewers say, "Oh, well, you know, the d- demand is subdued. So there should be a lot of spot hops. So I just won't bother with the contract. There's just no need for me or I'm too small. That's I hear that more, more than anything is I'm too small. And I always say to the brewer, but do you have any like core range beer? Oh, yeah, yeah. We've definitely got beers that we we need those hops for. And I say, well, you, you don't know what's happening if you haven't even got a contract and you can't plan that supply so even some of the smallest breweries who say i'm too small end up in that that negative position of going oh crap i've got to reformulate this recipe now yeah. because i've been shorted so um, rewalker was a classic for us this year with um many breweries uh they know to contract it's it's a hard very hard to grow get a contract be safe about your the co-op does a fantastic job of protecting it. That, that's why we, we band together. We we very, very rarely run short on things that we that we intend to grow and we have surplus usually to cover it. But with that hail event we lost a little bit of that we were hoping for about a four ton surplus of Rewalker. It didn't come and then 15 phone calls in January oh can I get a contract for it? and it's like I can't help you now. If you'd done it earlier growers could have planted more and then we would have been in a better position. So The the lack of contracts is a real barrier to to a hot farmer's growth for for varieties. It it really gives them a lack of confidence in a variety. And and unfortunately, in many cases, they they could probably sell that whole amount on the spot market. But it's just that inkling in the back of their mind that says, well, nobody's contracted for it. So maybe it's not in demand. And and this is the conversation I have to have daily with, with growers like Brent and others is to say, don't pull it out. It's it's you know it's it, we're still selling it through you know uh, and all the rest of it. Um, it's just a, it's just where the market is. So I guess there's a fine balance to be had there for um,
1: brewers and, suppliers. and brewers and marketers have to realise on on the farm scale of things we're doing things to match harvest windows and hop training windows and things like that. It's not necessarily well. That's going to be my best price per hectare hop. So let's put half the farm in that. Mm. No, on our between our two farms we're growing nineteen varieties. And in that time, we've got harvest windows that are bouncing around all over the place, which is great because we can find, we can hone in on their optimums, which means the brewers are going to get their best possible harvest window to fit in there. Now, there's probably five or six varieties in there that, you know, they cover their costs but they don't do a great deal more. But they're fun to grow and we enjoy them and they ease of use or something and they fit a, a, a day sort of harvest on that day where you might not have anything else. But if we don't know that it's still needed out there. Then we will we'll pull it out and manage another variety into it. So. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a good message to uh, uh,
0: to end on. I mean, I think we've had the same issues over here. Our growers are, uh, are very much having that uh, conversation with lots of brewers now. We're having those conversations, same as you, George. Same conversations. Yeah. The message is: please make sure you do get contracts in because it is so important from a growing point of view to know what to grow for the brewery going forward, especially if you've if you've got um uh, recipes that are so reliant on certain varieties, even more so important there. Well, look, guys, yeah. I really appreciate you uh, getting up early to come and join join me. Yeah. Uh, to, uh, I, I, a lot of people won't know, but this is mark two of our uh, conversation because the first one didn't get recorded properly on Zoom, so uh, again, double thank you for uh, for coming and joining us. And I hope that everybody's enjoyed our catch up. It's certainly put a lot of uh, points into my head and a lot of ideas going forward as well. And given us a whole background of what is uh, is going on down in New Zealand, so I really appreciate that. And I hope we can catch up again later in the season, and when there's no hailstorms, Brent, and you won't be out in the field recording stuff like that. Hopefully, yeah. and we can get an update on the crop there as well. Um, so thank you for joining us, and thanks to everybody for for joining us uh, with this catch up. And uh, if you're interested, we'll be doing some more of these. uh, In the next few weeks. So please tune in and uh, listen to uh, our uh, excellent guests talk about hops. Thanks very much, everybody. And thanks, guys, again. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys.
1: Thanks, everyone. Cheers.